Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, I love you. I thank God for you. I think you're the best. Central is the best. The best church, the best in faith, the best in hope, the best in love. That's why I got this working for me. We're number one. We're number one. I believe our church is the best. Um, But it has nothing to do with you or me. Our Jesus is the best. Um, Let's be real. I'm a mess. And you're a mess. The best we can do is get our messes closer to Jesus. When we surrender to Jesus, when we're filled with Jesus, he brings out God's best version of us. Surrender our marriages to Jesus, God's best version of our marriage. Uh, Surrender our finances to Jesus, God's best version of our finances. Surrender our faith, our feelings, God's best version of who we are. Um, God makes us the best when we surrender to Jesus. But the other reason I got my big number one working for me is because we're going to spend the rest of the summer in James 1. And the final reason I have my big number one working for me, the book of James is one of the books in the New Testament part of the Bible, but it was the very first book written in the New Testament era. I mean, there are 27 different New Testament books available to us. But when James wrote his uh, long letter or booklet, it was the very first. Um, There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John uh, yet on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There was no book of Acts on the birth of the church. There were no writings by Peter or Paul. All the early believers had for their faith, for their inner strength, for the wisdom of God was the book of James. So James is the very first book. And it was written only 10 years after the life of Jesus, the the death and resurrection of Jesus. So people were still alive who had heard Jesus teach in person. Uh, People were still alive who were actual uh, witnesses to his miracles, who were there at the crucifixion who saw him after he was risen from the dead. Now, to me, this speaks of the book's authenticity and its accuracy. James couldn't blow smoke. He had to shoot straight because his readers, many of his readers, had been there and could say, yeah, that's the way it was, or "Hmm, that's not the way I remember it. And remarkably, uh, James writes much the way Jesus Spoke, And there's a reason for that. But, but I want to get into James right from the get-go. Um, and he kind of nutshells the entire book in one sentence, the opening sentence. James says, hello, I'm James. Jesus is Lord. You're not, and you better wise up. Here's the book of James in a kin condensed version. Here we go. Chapter one. Are you complaining about your problems? You better wise up. Chapter two. Are you prejudging people based on their appearance? You better wise up. Chapter three. Do you have a loose tongue? 
Do you talk bad about people? Do you gossip? Do you go off on people and tell them off? You better wise up. Chapter four, are you argumentative, jealous, full of yourself? You better wise up. Chapter five, do you have issues, financial issues, health issues? You better wise up and pray. Um, the book of James was James Hart for the church at that time. He, he was concerned about the state of the church. It was a train wreck. I mean, when the church was born, as you can read about in the book of Acts, it was a, a thing of absolute beauty and, and supernatural power. Miracles happened. And the hungry were fed. And healings happened. And, and the poor were lifted out of their poverty. I mean, it was as if Jesus was right there, alive and at work among them. And then suddenly, it just went south in the worst way possible. The, the same religious elite, the authorities, uh, kind of religious Nazis that executed Jesus, they wanted to destroy the church. They did not anticipate that thousands would be baptized, that hearts would be turned to the Lord, and that the, this church would become a, a mighty spiritual movement in the city of Jerusalem. So they made every effort with, with all the violence necessary to destroy the church, and a tipping point was a young man named Stephen. He was preaching the gospel, and they were so offended by his declaration of Jesus as Lord that they violently seized him, drove him to his knees, pushed him to the edge of a cliff, kicked him off the cliff. One guy picks up the biggest rock he can, tries to hit him in the chest. Another guy goes for his head. And they stoned Stephen like that until he was dead. Uh, then the blood lust from that one event spread through the religious elite. Uh, they burned businesses. They looted. They, they, they ransacked Christians' homes uh, and stole all their possessions. Christians were beaten in an effort to try to get them to recant their faith. Christians were imprisoned. And then when they thought things couldn't possibly get any worse, um, the apostle James, not the James that wrote the book of James. This is, if you remember in your Bible stories, uh, James and John, that James, that James was beheaded with a sword. And that uh, ghastly, horrific event just sent people into the worst kind of panic. They, they, they left Jerusalem, Christians, believers, ran from Jerusalem, packed whatever they could on their back or in a cart, and they got out of Jerusalem and got as far from Jerusalem and the persecution as they possibly could. They ran for their lives. And wherever they went, wherever they settled, as far from Jerusalem as they could get, they would start churches. And about one year after this horrific, bloody persecution occurred, couriers began to show up in these communities wherever there was a new church, and they would hand off a, a scroll to the pastor that was the book of James. And when the weekend came, he would stand up for it before his people, pull out 
this new parchment, unroll the scroll, and begin to read all the way through the book of James in one sitting, he would begin to read like this. From James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, greetings to all God's people thoroughly scattered over the whole world. Now that word uh, or phrase, thoroughly scattered, is hugely significant. It's meant to, to, to create a, a word picture in the minds of the listeners. It was a word that would describe a farmer who was thoroughly scattering seed over a piece of ground. He wanted to cover every square inch. Now the point of the thorough scattering is that there would be a huge harvest. And his intent was that every seed would grow. And so James is saying to his listeners, hey, you think your life is hard. You think you got challenges. You think you got problems. You think you're living in difficulty. Look here. God has scattered you thoroughly. You are exactly where God wants you, and God wants you in your situation to grow. He put you in the situation so that you will grow in the situation. Listen to this. God has planted you where you are, and God intends that you grow where you are. Your situation is your soil. And um, I mean, what is it? What is your situation? What has you frustrated? What has you angry? What has you uh, afraid or worried? What, what is it about your situation that feels painful? Well, God wants to use that situation as your soil to help you grow. Um, and so you don't gripe about your situation. You grow in your situation. You don't moan about your situation. Uh, you mature in your situation. You don't despair over your situation. You develop in your situation. You don't flounder in your situation. You flourish. That's the purpose of God. In fact, let me say it this way. If you don't like your situation, James would say, wise up and grow out of it. Now, James, his book is small, 108 verses, and 54 of those verses are commands. He says, this is how you do life. It's not, James wasn't big on suggestions. He didn't offer options. He did not accept excuses. He said, surrender your life to Jesus, and if you don't, don't be surprised if your life comes apart at the seams. Don't blame other people. Don't go pointing your finger at someone else. Look into your own heart. Don't blame someone else. Look to God and grow through your difficulty. Grow and mature in your situation. Now, maybe you wonder, well, who is this James that he thinks he can tell me what to do? I don't know if I want to be around to hear this short book where half of it is commands. Well, one, one thing to be aware of, almost without exception, when James writes, he writes the words of Jesus. And I'll tell you who this James is. He is the blood brother of Jesus. Just like Mary was the mother of Jesus, Mary was the mother of James. It's just that 
James's father was Joseph and Jesus was the son of God. But these two men grew up in the same home, under the same roof, sat at the same table, played outside together, did chores together, grew up working in the same carpenter's shop. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now you tell me, maybe you have a half-brother. Share the same mom, different fathers. Um, and if your half-brother came up to you and said that he was the son of God, would you believe him? Well, James didn't. It's not that James didn't believe. His belief, his disbelief went beyond doubt. He was embittered toward Jesus. He, he harbored a strong dislike toward Jesus. In fact, as we, as we read through uh, the, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, 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 the accounts of the life, um, death, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, it's, on, uh, it's an open, plain view how the, 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 the brothers and sisters of Jesus resented him. Uh, let me just show you. Um, Book of Matthew. First book in the New Testament. Everyone was amazed and said of Jesus, where does he get this wisdom? Where does he get this power to do miracles? Jesus had come back to his hometown. He spoke in their weekend worship and people were absolutely amazed. But they were like, isn't this the same Jesus that grew up down the street? Don't his mother and sister still live right there? And aren't his brothers uh, laborers in, in the carpenter shop? I mean, his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Jude, who just happened to write a book of the Bible as well. But those are his brothers. And listen to the word of God regarding his brothers. James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, they were deeply offended by Jesus and they refused to believe in Jesus. In fact, their disbelief went to sarcasm. They, they said to Jesus, hey, if you think you're such hot stuff, if you think you're such a big deal, if you're, you're the, your teachings are so special and these miracles are real, why don't you take your show on the road? Why don't you go to the big city and let everybody see uh, what a hot shot you are? They said this, if you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. In other words, go to Jerusalem for even his brothers did not believe in him. And then in the book of Mark, once again, Jesus comes back home to Nazareth, his hometown, where his brothers continue to live with their mom and their sisters. And as was the way of Jesus, wherever he went, he attracted enormous crowds, people putting demands, not just on his time, but on his energy. Listen to the word of God. Jesus came home, and as usual, a crowd gathered. That's the way it was with Jesus. So many people making demands on Jesus that there wasn't even time to eat. Well, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. They were going to do an intervention. They said he's out of his mind. The word there in the Greek is like someone who is a lunatic. They thought their brother was mentally ill. Now, 
this flow of scripture where we see James refusing to believe, James being resentful, James being bitter, James thinking his brother is mentally ill. What brought him around? What changed his heart? This is one of the reasons I, I, I love to listen to James because for years, he did not believe that Jesus was God. For years, he did not see Jesus as the Christ. But, but look what happens. James opens his letter this way. From James, he does not say the blood brother of Jesus. He doesn't play uh, the family card. But he says this, from James, a servant, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word Christ is a title. It means king. Well, how did James go from thinking his half-brother was a fake, was maybe borderline evil, was, was crazy, to submitting to him, surrendering to him as Lord and king. Well, what happened, really, it happened simply over a weekend, which is kind of wild. The course of three days, Friday, started there when his brother was executed on a criminal's cross. His, his suffering, the bro, the, his half-brother Jesus, you know, even if he hadn't believed that he was God, just to watch that suffering, to, to see that agony. I mean, it was so unfair, so unjust, so, so wrong. He certainly didn't deserve that. And, and, and then through Saturday, um, his grief breaking through whatever feelings he'd had about Jesus. And, and then Sunday. Sunday was the first Easter. Jesus is risen from the dead. And scripture tells us that one of the first things Jesus does when he comes striding away from that dark, empty tomb after having conquered hell, death, and the grave is that he tracks down James. Now, this is hugely significant because it hardly ever happened. I mean, Jesus made appearances for weeks after his resurrection. He made appearances to small groups of people. He, he made appearances to huge crowds of people. But only on two other occasions do we find Jesus being willing to go one-on-one -on -one with anybody. But one of those people with whom Jesus went one-on-one -on -one was his brother James. Can you imagine that encounter? James has a detailed awareness of his brother's death. And then on Sunday, Sunday morning, when he didn't even see it, didn't even see it coming, not even on his radar, his brother shows up. Can you imagine what goes off in James? I mean, no one could have recovered from that kind of execution that quickly. I imagine that Jesus said to his brother James what he often said when he saw people after his resurrection. He said, look at my hands. Look at my feet. The, the execution was real, but I'm alive. James, what I used to teach, it was the truth. What I did was from God. The wonders, they were God's work. Don't doubt. Believe. I, I, if I, I were James, I would have reached out and put my 
fingertips on the wrist of Jesus where the nails had pierced his flesh. And it was like just a scar, nothing at all. And then if I was James, I would, I, I, I would go down on my knees. Maybe one glance up at Jesus and then my head down by his feet say, Oh, Lord, please forgive me. Oh, Lord, my God, I'm sorry for my doubt. I'm sorry for my bitterness and my disbelief. Lord, I'm sorry for my jealousy and my anger. You are my king. I am your servant. You, you are my God. I will, I will serve you. I will be your servant with every breath I have. I, I can relate. I, I can feel that. In fact, every time Deb and I pray, as we humble ourselves before God, that's what, a part of my prayer. Lord, we are so grateful for how good you've been to us, how you've forgiven us, how your mercy has rescued and saved us. We'll serve you with our last breath. Well, James um, will go on to write this letter. And, and again, remarkably, he wrote like Jesus taught. You can lay the book of James down beside the book of Matthew, and over 20 times you'll find the words of Jesus and Matthew in the book of James. And it's not just that James wrote like Jesus talked. He prayed like Jesus prayed. In fact, he had a nickname. His nickname was Camel Knees. Let me show you a picture. One, because of his humility. But two, uh, his knees were so swollen and callous because he spent so much time in prayer. Uh, he, he was the lead pastor in the church of Jerusalem. When everybody else fled, he stayed. And with a steady hand, he guided the direction of the church for 30 years. For 30 years, not only did he write this book, but he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus, his Lord and Savior and king. In fact, I believe it was during one of his sermons. I believe that during the sermon, the sermon was about the temptations of Christ. Do you remember the first temptation that Satan threw at Jesus? He took him up to the pinnacle, the highest point of the temple, and said, hey, jump off. If you're God's son, you won't be hurt. Angels will catch you before your foot even hits the ground. Well, I think James just finished teaching that part of the text when, when the religious authorities of the day rushed him, charged him, seized him, drug him away from the place of preaching, drug him to the top of the temple. Literally, they did to the highest point. It was a hundred foot drop down into the Kidron Valley and they threw him off. He plummeted the hundred feet. Bam, hits the ground. Tradition tells us that he did not die. I mean, he's breaths away from death, but somehow in that wounded, broken state, he fights his way to his knees and begins to pray for his enemies, to pray for their forgiveness. They couldn't stand it, so they took rocks and clubbed him to death. And when his bruised and swollen and bloody eyes closed in death, they instantaneously opened in the presence of Jesus. To hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. Enter into my joy. Um, for the rest of the summer, we're just going to camp out in James 1. 
Uh, and right now to launch us, we're going to camp out in the presence of Jesus Christ, our King. We're going to, as James did, reassert our humble place before him as his servants. Um, we are going to put to death parts of our life that keep us from being God's best version of us. And Jesus set this up for us through the practice of communion. And so you have the elements before you and I'd like uh, for you to take the piece of bread and I'd like to pray over you. Lord, um, sometimes as we read your word and the history of your servants and see how they suffered, it's like, dang, we don't hardly suffer at all. We pause right now, Lord Jesus, to remember your suffering and the promise of your suffering that you would absorb in your body all of our sins that we might be fully forgiven and that when our eyes close in death, they will instantaneously open in your presence, Lord Jesus, awaiting those words of welcome, good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom, enter into my joy. There's nothing we want more than that. And until that day comes, we'll serve you, Lord Jesus. We make that commitment as we eat the bread. And if you take the cup, his blood poured out, so unfair, so unjust, so wrong, but so good for us, for it cleanses us of all guilt and shame, washes away our sins, makes us right with God. So I'd like to pray over you as you take the cup. Father, before we drink this juice, we, we want to say, oh God, have mercy on us as sinners. We humble ourselves before you and we we, we say again, God, with every breath, all we want to do is serve you for the rest of our lives. You have been so good to us. You have shown us such mercy, such compassion, such loving kindness, such grace. We thank you and we praise you as we take the cup. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. I thank you. I look forward to moving in to the word of God with you weekend after weekend. I'll see you then. God bless. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.